Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, This is our subject tonight. We're going to talk about faith. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, tonight's a very exciting night uh, because we're starting a whole new series on the book of Luke. A whole new series on the book of Luke. And uh, the the, the entire book written by, by Luke here is about the kingdom existing because the king is here. You do not... Contrary to popular belief culturally, you do not get the kingdom without the king. Okay? So, so the whole story of Luke is about this singular thing. The kingdom is here because the king is here. Now maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're going, but what kingdom? Like I, I've heard this language in church before. I've read about it in the scriptures. What is the kingdom of God? If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, you should still write this down in a very simple phrase. Here's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the experience that you have when Jesus is your king. Very simply, simply put, what is the kingdom? It is the experience you have when you have made Jesus Lord over your life. No, you take priority. You take precedent. The kingdom comes at those places. So so practically, it's inner peace. You don't get peace from pursuing peace. You get peace from pursuing the king. It's inner peace. It's your identity settled. You no longer are working for an identity, trying to please others, trying to get stuff in life or or climb some kind of ladder. No, you know who you are. Your identity's been settled. It's your faith rising throughout your life. It's, oh, how how do I grow in faith? I get close to the one who's faithful. I see what he's done, and it actually raises my faith to trust him for that difficulty that's in my life right now or the thing that's coming around the corner tomorrow, okay? Um, It's the impossible becoming normal. Like like what Zach just shared, it's walking into a taco shop and actually being aware, tender to to his presence, going, you know, I'm here for tacos, but could I also be here for the miraculous, it's the kingdom of God coming, coming into our world. It's the unseen reality of relationship with God becoming visible through tangible experiences of heaven on earth. That's the kingdom. And we picked this book, Luke, uh, because out of all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke takes the most detailed look at Jesus. And it's important that we have the right view of Jesus. I think many people, uh, Christians, evangelicals, know Jesus as the Savior, they're, they're, they're familiar with Jesus as this Messiah who comes and he takes away the sin of the world. That's true. There's also other facets to Jesus as well. Uh, I think many people um, maybe in, uh, in other circles of evangelicalism or, or in kind of mainline Protestantism, they know Jesus as a teacher. So who is Jesus? He's not so much a savior. He was a moral teacher with a divine spark who brings out the divine spark in you. Now, I know many of us in this church, that's not really our bent, but that's, that is an aspect of him. He's a teacher. He says that you should build your life on his teachings. Okay, so he, does, he is a teacher. But I, here's what I think Luke does, and, and I've just been in Luke for now a couple years, just reading Luke over and over and over again. Here's what I think Luke shows us. He shows us that Jesus is a savior, he's a teacher, but he is a model. What do I mean? 
Jesus exists to show us what a human who is really connected to God looks like. Why Jesus? Jesus comes so that you know what it's like to be connected to a father who knows you, who created you, who loves you. That's what we're seeing in the life of Jesus. And essentially what I want to look at this evening is before Jesus is even born, which by the way, Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) I totally forgot. I got Christmas trees up here. Merry Christmas. That's the first time anybody, I got the first. First time we've said it this year. Um, Merry Christmas. We're going to get there in the next couple weeks. Before Jesus is born, before his birth is even announced, we get two lessons in how to walk with this father like Jesus walked with this father. We get two lessons that we're going to look at tonight. How do we respond to God in the way that Jesus responded to God. The, the first lesson we're going to get tonight is from a guy named Zachariah, who would later go on to be John the Baptist's father. So look down at your Bibles, verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they're part of this priestly line. Okay, Verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Okay, so we're introduced to this character, Zachariah, and what, who does he remind you of right off the bat? Anyone? A priest without a kid. A priest who's really old. Yeah, he's Abraham. He's the new Abraham. And and so many, like so many times in the story of the Bible, God is going to come to this man and he's going to speak something unusual and seemingly impossible. Look back down at your Bibles, verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How many of you guys want that for your future children? Before they're even born, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, a prophet of old. To, now notice this. Here's the key phrase. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So 
This angel comes to Zechariah while he's ministering to the Lord. And you, can, you have to imagine, there's only one of these stories, okay? So for years and years and years, they're ministering before the Lord. They're burning incense. They're doing sacrifice. And all of a sudden, God shows up and speaks. It's powerful, powerful stuff. God shows up and speaks, and he says, oh, yeah, um, you know the story of Abraham. Listen, I'm going to do the same thing with you. You guys are going to have a child. And this is no ordinary child. This is the kind of child that actually makes, I almost think of like clearing a path in the wilderness, clearing a highway for, for, for people to travel along. He's going to make a way for people to connect back with the Lord. The heart of the father turned toward the children. The heart of the children turned toward the father. That's what he's about to do. That's what he is preparing to do. Now, Here's the promise. A son who's going to do all of that. That's incredible. And, and, and after being so old, I love how, I love how you know, in Ab- Abraham says, uh, or in, in Genesis it says that his, his wife's body was as good as dead. It's like, what? Zachariah just learned, no, 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 we're just really old. She's not as good as dead. No, no, no we're just really old. I'm glad he learned from Abraham's example. Um, now, what I want you to see is that we actually get two examples of what having your heart turn to the Father looks like practically. We're going to see it in Zechariah. And and, uh, next slide. Here's kind of my premise for the next couple weeks. I think that the first lesson of Christmas is really about how four people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that's tonight, and then Mary and Joseph, that's next week, steward the promises of God. That's the first lesson. When your heart's been turned to him and his heart's been turned to you and you see it, how do you steward what he says in your life. And so tonight we're going to look at these two lessons of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The lesson of Zechariah is this. He's given this incredible promise. Not only is he going to have a child, but that child will essentially make way for all people to potentially accept the Messiah. It's just incredible, but look at his response, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife's body is really old. I'm really old. She's never been able to have a kid. I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe. Everybody say believe. My words, which will come true at their appointed time. The the first lesson of Christmas, the first lesson of Zechariah is this. There are some promises that are too important to be spoken of by people with little faith. God will come and he will speak things to you and he's looking for agreement. He's looking for what Bria was talking about earlier, alignment. Why, why take away his voice? Why take away his ability to speak? Because there are some things that God speaks that are too important to be spoken of by people with little faith. Now, when John is born, the lesson continues. So skip over, you're going to have to turn the page to verse 57, okay? Skipping a little bit, we're going to jump around. Uh, Verse 57, here's what happens. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. What a good community. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, 
There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. The interesting thing here is that when he obeyed, when he came into alignment with God and he said, I'll trust you in your way and what you're doing through my life, then he was able to speak. So here's the whole lesson. Why remove his ability to speak? Because our words, what we say, really, really matters. It actually impacts what God intends to do on the, on the earth. We're, we're made in the image, we've said this before, and maybe you remember, but we're made in the image of a God who, whose voice, his language, gave birth to a world. So we are made in the image of someone, when they spoke, the world came into being, and I would put forth to you that we have that same ability to speak forth realities for people to live in. We have that same ability to, to not create ex nihilo or to, to actually create material things around us, but to say specific things to, uh, in Paul's language, prophesy according to our faith and thus create a reality for people to exist in. When we speak, we have that ability to create an atmosphere, to set a tone, to, to encourage faith in God or to discourage it. And here's the base reality of our voice. This is how, you're like, I didn't know I had this much power in my voice. Oh, you have so much power in your voice. What you believe, you will create around you. So the angel comes to him, he's like, God's gonna do this incredible thing that you've never, you would never believe in a million years. And he's like, I'm not sure I believe that. And he's like, I can't have you talking about it because I'm gonna do it. <laughs> this is one of those ones you don't get a lot of say in, okay? What you say really, really matters. And it's really one of the reasons why there's so many negative realities in this world. People have spoken despair. They have spoken meaninglessness. They've spoken, you can't do that, or God would never do that. And for those who have believed, there's the word, those who have believed them, that's the reality that they've gotten. You're like, why was my childhood so messed up? What were people saying? What was the tone of the home? What we say creates a world. <laughs> so here's the lesson of Zechariah, is that God will tell you insane, unutterable things, things that, that it, well, here's what the scriptures say, beyond, things that are beyond what you could have asked for or even imagined. He will say those things to you about your life, about what he intends to do, about what he wants to bring about, that kind of impact he wants you to have. And if your mind is not ready, or if your mind is a, is a, it's a war zone, it's contested space, the promise may be forgotten or chalked up to, that probably wasn't God. And you miss out on what he intends to do. This is, we're, we're, you see what's happening right now? We're getting father-son lessons. We're getting, getting father-daughter lessons. We have, see, <laughs> we, we were like, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, right? But then he actually says something that's beyond good. <laughs> <laughs> your definition of good has to expand when you come in relationship with him because he's going to say things that you never thought were possible. And here's the thing. You don't, you often, I'll say this, you often do not get them if you don't believe him. The other day, um, I was just thinking about how important it is that I steward my mind. 
that I steward what I'm thinking about, that I, that I think about what I'm thinking about. The other day, um, I, I mean, I, hey, this is actually, I don't know if this is news for the whole church, but it's my news. I just finished seminary. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'm happy. Thank you, God, for that. Uh, just the other night, finished my last project, and I'm just like, there was, there, was, there, was, there was a lot of grace on some of those years. There's some, not any grace on uh, three of those years. It took me seven years. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to a church with a pastor. It took him seven years to graduate seminary. I know. I'm sorry, guys. Um, just the way it happened for me. Uh, I started seminary the year that I got married. And that was eight years ago. So there you go. Um, but I'm in my, one of my last classes, and I'm, I'm, it's online, so I'm watching this um, lecture, and the lecture's on how to do a funeral. <laughs> I did a funeral one time. I wish I had watched this lecture before I did that funeral. Uh, they're like, I love it. The first thing they start out with, they're like, never, never let somebody have the mic after you. You have to close the thing, okay? Because they're going to get up and contradict everything that you just said. I was like, yeah, I made that mistake. Um, so they're, they're, he's, my, my professor's talking about how to do a funeral, and he's talking about these difficult funerals. Funerals um, of a child or, or funerals of, of suicide. And just really, really difficult things, things I haven't actually had to face yet. So um, God give me grace whenever that does happen. But um, I just, I, I, I listened to the whole, the whole lecture and I kind of went on about my day. I was doing things around the house. And all of a sudden, you know, it just kind of slowly comes over me, this cloud of depression. And I just start feeling kind of down. And I'm just going about, and I'm kind of, that's kind of weird. It's Christmas time. Normally I really love Christmas time. And, and I'm going to, I'm like, tonight I have a great night ahead of me. I'm going to hang out with my wife and my child. We're going to make dinner together, maybe watch a Christmas movie. Like, what? What's going on? Why do I feel this weird, this weird, I just feel kind of down. And I'm really growing. I'm, something that our, our leadership team is growing is this sensitivity to the presence of God. All of a sudden I go, oh my gosh. I took in all of that funeral talk without reminding myself, without reminding my heart of the hope of every believer. I allowed my mind to be, to be contested, but the, the hope that I live with contested by not after going through all of that, reminding myself and going, oh, but God, thank, thanks be to God that you're a gracious God and merciful, even on those who commit suicide, even on children who didn't have an opportunity to say yes to you. Thank you, God, that your love is beyond what I could ever imagine and that you have a hope and a future for me. I could have turned to Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and been like, here's my eternal destiny. It's with you forever. No more tear, no more crying, no more pain. God, think, but I didn't do that. I'm learning to do that. But in that moment, I felt, I was, I was down. I go, oh, <laughs> I haven't stewarded my mind after I took in that bit of information. I need to go back and renew my mind so that when I hear your voice, because here's the thing, if I'm in that place of depression, that place of like, yeah, life probably is meaningless, and oh my gosh, it's just so difficult, and I just can't believe the pain of the world, and just, ah. Uh, Believers, it is not legal for us to stay there when we have a resurrection solution. It's not legal. There's blood in the way. There's blood in the way. And so if if I'm in that place, though, and then God comes and he speaks something incredible, am I in a position to receive it? Probably not. Probably not. Because I've had my mind shaped by the pain of the world more so than I've had it shaped by the resurrecting one, the one who does the impossible.
Maybe you have a question and you're like, but why, why even give a promise at all? Why does this angel have to show up at all? He, he could just, God, just, just make it happen. So all of a sudden they're pregnant. Whoa, we're pregnant. This is incredible. You know, why, why even allow Zachariah to have anything to say about it at all? Or, or, or why does God get involved with messy humans? Here's the reality. Here's lesson uh, part B. In his goodness, God wants us to get wins under our belt by trusting him. Next slide. He promises because he wants us to experience the joy of contending for a breakthrough informed by a promise and seeing heaven come. Why promise us? Why promise us anything at all? It's partnership. It's hand-in-hand partnership. I want you to get this win as much as I'm getting this win. Uh, Imagine a billionaire, and this billionaire has really made it all. It's not no handouts. They've really made it. You're like, that's impossible. Well, I don't know. Imagine, just go there with me in my mind. Imagine a billionaire who they came as an immigrant to the United States with nothing. They worked, and, and they studied, and they invested, and they scraped, and they risked, and with a little bit of luck, they made it. They became a billionaire. Let me ask you this question. What does that person want for their children? What do they want for their kids? They probably don't want like, oh, maybe someday my kid will make a million dollars. It's like, no, they'll always have millions of dollars. I'm a billionaire. They couldn't spend all of our money. It's probably not an item like, maybe if, if my child just drove that kind of car, that would be so cool. I'd be really proud of them. No. I would put forth that when looking back on their lives, if they could give one thing to their children, it would be the joy of going through trial and getting victory. That's what they want for their kids. That's why many of them don't leave their kids money, or the smart ones don't, because they want them to experience the joy of getting wins under their belt. The joy of of looking back at impossible issues and looking at that path to overcoming. And, And this is what God wants for his kids. He so wants them to experience what it feels like to win in the kingdom that he gives them promises that require that they increase in faith, that require that they believe for the impossible. That's why he promises. And this leads to the lesson of Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, the lesson of Elizabeth. Uh, Flip back to the left in your Bible to uh, verse 21. Uh, Here's what happens right after God speaks to Zechariah. It says this, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed for so long in the temple. Remember, we're back in the scene. He's in the temple. He's ministering before the Lord. The angel comes, speaks this promise to him. And and this is what happens. Verse 22, When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Verse 25, this is what she says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth says she gets pregnant and her response to the promise is this, God using me, doing what he will in my life, a 90-year-old woman having a child, kind of inconvenient. No, 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 it's not inconvenient, it's favor. This is his favor on me. <laughs> and it removes my disgrace. Now, it could be easy to think, and I, when I first read this, it just it stood out to me. I thought, 
well, who cares about your disgrace? I mean, not to be rude or anything, we're talking about like John paving the way for the Messiah. Like, this doesn't really have to do with your shame or your disgrace among your people. This has to do with the salvation of the entire world. Why your disgrace? And here is the lesson of Elizabeth. The activity of God in your life has two purposes. The first purpose of God's activity in your life is to bring about his will. That's, that's, that's the reason for his activity in your life. But the second purpose of his activity in your life is to glorify you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, no, you can't say that. Only God gets glory. Okay, well, I know this is an uncomfortable topic, but here's what Jesus says about this in John 15. He says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, when you get answers to your prayers, when you see people who are healed and they're delivered or heaven comes through you in any way, God gets more glory. You're not stealing glory from God. When you become awesome, you're pointing to him. You can't compete with his glory any more than a sculpture could compete with Michelangelo. One points to the other. In fact, in, in Genesis chapter one, the Hebrew word for image, being made in the image of God, is this word salem. Can you say that with me? Salem. And, and this word is the word for idol, actually. We are, we are the idols of God. What, what, what does that mean? It means that we are his sculptures. We're supposed to be awesome. We're supposed to be glorious. We're supposed to get answers to our prayers. We're supposed to do the impossible. We're supposed to be blessed. We're supposed to look like him. Otherwise, how will people know who we belong to? It is to my Father's glory that you get answers to your prayers, that you ask for whatever you want and it's done for you. Then people will know that you're my disciples. They're like, those are the people who belong to him. He continues on in verse 16. He says this in John, John 15, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me. Listen, this is so powerful. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Why did God choose you? Why are you here tonight? So that you will bear fruit. So that you will do the impossible. Fruit that will last. May it be so, Lord. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You see, this, this is father-son training. This is father-daughter training. Do you know what I call um, someone who believes the promises of God over their life and brings about heaven on earth as a result? I call them awesome. <laughs> I'm like, that's the kind of person I want to be like. That, that is inspiring. I, I, there's certain people where I get around them and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to believe for so much more than I did yesterday. Oh, I'm going to go for so much more than I did last week. Oh, I'm going to risk again. I'm gonna risk again because look at this person. They are fully alive. Such a powerful person. You were designed to be a powerful person. You were designed to walk into taco shops and heal knees. You were designed to pray for families with infertility issues and see them have children. You were designed to pray for people who have learning disabilities and see them completely reversed and corrected. That's what you were designed for. You were designed for this. You were chosen for this. Some believe that God will just do whatever he wants, and so what does it have to do with me? He's just gonna do what he's gonna do. He's that, he's that all-powerful. 
Um, or even worse, there are some who believe that um, everything that happens in our current world is just simply God's will. I was recently at a gathering, and, and this poor, poor woman was thanking God for things that the enemy did. It's really, really sad. I disagree. We are told to ask for God's will to be done. Why are we told to ask for his will to be done if it was already being done? We're told to ask for his will to be done because his will is not being done in many places. There's hell on earth in many places. And so he says, come to me, disciple. I want you to ask for my will to be done. What's my will? It's that this would look like heaven. This would look like my space. Bring my presence into it. So we place our aim on heaven and God gets glory when there's someone who will stand in belief in the midst of unbelief and people see God move as a result. He gets glory from that. That's what you were designed for. It, it, it's, it's when you pray for that body and they're healed right there. It's, oh, I can't believe they did that. They prayed and they were healed. Yeah, God's using them. Isn't that glorious? It's in that relational mess that you know of. It's like, man, when, when that thing gets healed up, the people who are, in, in, who are a part of that, guess what happens to them? They get glorious. It's like, oh, they, they beat the enemy on that one. The, the lesson of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that God wants to accomplish his will through our believing him, and we get glorious as a result. This is what it means to have our hearts turned to him and his heart turned to us. This is the message of Christmas. Let's stand together. There was a... Um, there was a, uh, a gal who, when we uh, first were thinking about planting this church, um, we met with this gal and with uh, her team from a church, and um, sh she said, you know, there's this prophetic word that I've had, and I, and I haven't known who to share it with for the longest time. And she said, here's the image that I have. The image is that um, God wants to bring power to Newburgh, but just like power lines need a structure to hold those lines, carrying them to, from one town to the, to the other, God is looking for people that can be those structures with the level of faith, the level of belief to actually usher his power into this circumstance or into this town. And she said, I believe your church will be a church of power line holders. A church, that, a church of people who actually, they, because of their belief and faith, they are able to steward the promises of God coming from Newburgh. They're able to see them come to fruition right here, Lord. Would you do it right here? Every, every church planter that I know, um, almost, probably most of them, if not every single one of them, has a prophetic word about their city being the city where revival begins and it spreads across the nation. Are there some who are wrong? I think that God is just doing what he said he would do in the parable of the sower. He's seeding the world with his word, with his promise to visit, his promise to dwell, and he is simply looking for people who have a faith that can steward all that he intends to pour out. He's looking for partnership. Let's be those partners. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.